0: Welcome to the Befriend Your Mind Salon, where we invite diverse thoughts to share our minds and transform our communication in modern relationships. I'm your host, Kirti, and I'm here to help you discover the power of equanimity in our everyday interactions. In a world filled with pressure to be perfectly mindful, we have to forget that true growth comes from finding balance and peace within ourselves, especially during times of adversity, challenges or sensitive scenarios. That's why we're here, to explore how we can bring equanimity to our relationships and alleviate the unnecessary burden we put on ourselves. Each episode, we'll dive into the thought-provoking conversations, insights, and practical tips to help you navigate the complexities of modern relationships with clarity and compassion. We believe that embracing diverse perspectives, is the key to fostering great communications and understanding really what's going on in today's world. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or get ready to go on that walk. Let's discover a journey of how to transform conversations. Let's befriend our minds together and create meaningful connections that do create the change and bring back the joy in relationships. Um, yeah, so I was thinking about, and one subject that just kept cropping up around me was about this sense of apologies, you know, it's not just about women being apologetic because you hear so much about women just apologizing, but in, in England, I find people apologize a lot. And I noticed in our, in, in my culture, we apologize a lot. So I was thinking about, we go down that road. And explore it, if you're up for it.
1: Okay, yeah, so curious that you would discuss apologizing with me, because I think that's one thing that I'm very guilty of, uh, internally and externally. And uh, I think you have, have reminded me of that many times since we've known each other. So (laughs) I'm certainly not an expert on not being apologetic. But here we are, let's talk.
0: I actually like the fact that you're not an expert about it because I think sometimes, for me, I struggle a lot with that expert in its own self. Um, It puts a lot of expectations and that also leads to apologizing a lot because we think we need to be in in a certain frame or in a certain way just to be able to show up as that. So good start on that one. (laughs) Uh, When it comes to apologizing um, and spirituality, the reason I'm talking about it is because I noticed before I started um, practicing yoga on a very deeper level, or or so I thought it was a deeper level, I lost a lot of my courage, my self-esteem, and my self-worth by practicing yoga or, you know, doing all the good stuff or the positive stuff. And I really struggled with it for a very, very long time. And I don't know if that was in being an Indian also, if that had something to do with it. And I wondered what your thoughts were, why that possibility could be there?
1: Well, I'm listening to you and I'm wondering why, why in the world did you feel like you lost self-esteem over doing that is it because there was the good girl syndrome did you do you feel that that kicked in um were you comparing yourself to something um
0: I I feel so I now when I look back on it I definitely feel so uh I felt that all of a sudden and goes back with also this word expert right I felt that when you're at least for me, and I'd I'd like to know what your insight is. Is that when you practice a lot of, let's go to the religion first. When you practice the religions of Hinduism, I noticed there or in, there's a lot of moralistic language. You know, do the right thing. This is this will create karma. If you don't do that, then this will happen. There was always this sense of if you don't do this this way. You're going to have these consequences. And it felt really frightening for me. I didn't want that, so I'd always feel very afraid to get into that. And I felt like I was now all of a sudden feeling I had to be something, to live up to this, just not to get into that um moralistic language. And I got caught in that. And it it was very much that when you know when you teach yoga, especially when you're teaching spirituality, all of a sudden you feel conformed that you have to live up to some image that you that you really don't feel like you are. So whether that's a good girl syndrome, um, I'm not sure if that I would say that it was more like being the the good um spiritualist syndrome was for me. So I wonder what your views are, because I know you've been you traveled, like I said, you know, you traveled the world just as much as I did. And you were also exploring your and and you have a much more dynamic um, relationship with spirituality. At least that's what I thought, and and definitely looked up to you. And I wondered what you thought about that in regards with apologizing as well.
1: You know, it's so interesting. Um, so you come from a Hindu background. I come from a Muslim background, right? And um, it's so interesting to hear you talk about Hinduism in terms of guilt, the right and wrong, and all that, because that is what I felt Islam was bewed, imbued with. And in fact, when I started practicing yoga and the yogic philosophy and the yogic path and all of that, um, I felt a sense of freedom. I felt like I felt that I was freed from that sense of guilt that came with religion. So it's so interesting because, I mean, you grew up in that culture, you know, I'm like, wow, how come I had a different... Is it because is it because i i entered that world as an outsider and you were an insider and maybe maybe it was a cultural thing or a family thing that made you that made you feel that way because i just feel like yoga yoga yogas teaching is to go beyond mm-hmm. right to go beyond body to go beyond mind that you are not just this, but you are in fact infinity, you are in fact bliss, and it's for you to realize that infinity that you are. Yoga also teaches that we are all so incredibly interconnected with one another, and that in fact that thread runs through all of us, so even the most criminal human being on this planet has that divine spike spark within them. So it's not just divided into people who are bad and people who are good. It's that we all have divinity and we all work towards that. So so fascinating why you feel like you grew up with this.
0: Yes. the word that comes to me is suffering and karma and I, I i i can i understand where you're coming from with the culture and i really do want to delve in that as well um but we were raised so in the asian community or at least in the indian community we were raised you know karma is always there it's like oh you know if something happened be like karma will take care of it or you know that's karmic or and if you questioned it, it's as if you committed this huge crime by asking, "Why is that karma?" You know, and there, there is a lot of at least from growing up, I culturally, and um, there, you know, a there is always that feeling that I don't. You, a, you cannot air your dirty laundry outside so whatever issues you had in the house stayed at home and you don't disclose it with anyone because you're very society driven that's one
1: mm-hmm.
0: and but then if you then take it outside and you speak to someone they'll go oh it's karmic and it's like a form of dismissalness that comes with it and Taking that further, when you start practicing a lot of the spirituality, you hear a lot of, oh, just let it go. It's karma. Just let it go. It's karma. And so you're still driven by the sense of guilt and a certain suppression to be positive. And so what ended up happening, going back to, you know, sticking to it in the apology, I found myself constantly feeling guilty for having different thoughts or feeling Spirit, I wanted spirituality to also be relatable in my life. So when I find that whenever you would hear, oh, it's just divine, you know, leave it to faith, it's all karma. It's all, it never felt like a letting go, it almost felt like a dismissiveness. And so you're left inside lingering with conflict inside of you. Well, how do I work with this in my day-to-day life? You know, when you're conflicted by something that you don't feel is um just of justice or right or fair, you know, those the dualistic language. And then it gets dismissed and you feel inside a sort of incompletion that kicks in. And I struggled a lot with that when in spirituality would say, oh leave it to God or leave it to Ganesh or, you know, that 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 strand of um, complexity.
1: So what you're saying is that you just couldn't swallow the whole um, fatality of karma. You couldn't. You couldn't just say, "Well, I have to just accept things as they are because this is karma. This is fate, and I'm so I'm reaping what I sow." And you find that hard to swallow, right? Well- you
0: said something very interesting. I'm reaping what I sow. But these were situations where I didn't feel I ever reaped them in the first place. And then you'd hear, oh, it was from your past life. And then you go. You didn't sow it in the first, in the first
1: place. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. So share me, share what you, your your insights, I, you know.
1: Well, you know, from, from a Muslim point of view, uh, consequence and punishment exists, right? For them, it, it comes in the form of heaven and hell. So you guys call it karma. And for them, it's heaven and hell. And they think of life as this is a one-shot deal. And, um, what you do here, you're going to be rewarded for or punished for at the end, but the truth will somehow come out. You can't avoid the truth of what you've done. So, mm-hmm. um, you know that's the that's the Muslim way of going about it. Um, I just I, I I guess that you know I'm listening to because okay so my my culture my background is Pakistani slash Bengali slash Arab and and I definitely know a lot about family pressure appearances putting on the good face you know keeping all your dirty laundry to yourself and you don't air it out you know you don't shame your family that is like the biggest taboo in the world you carry your family's name you carry your father's name and your grandfather's name you know and the women are the are the bearers of they carry forward the the uh the the goodness of the family they more than the men are responsible for the good name of the family you know so i grew up with all of that and it sounds to me that there is a small separation between culture and religion because what you're describing to me seems to be culture and I would say is very close to the culture that I grew up with as well I mean why would we be different than you we were all one country once upon a time right Mm -hmm. so uh, but is that really religion is that really spirituality? Is that what spirituality is teaching? From my very own personal point of view, um, there are some things that you can't change. You know, it's that, it's like that that Christian prayer, you know, Lord, help me to accept the things I cannot change, change the things that I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference, you know. So there are some things that you cannot change, but certainly there are a lot of things that you can change And that's where free will comes into play. And it's not just that even if the whole world is falling down around you, there's some things that you can do. And I think it's your duty to do so. Does that change karma, what they call karma? Maybe. I mean, I don't know exactly how karma works. Like, I don't think you would know or I would know. You can't see that deeply into the universe, you know. I personally don't believe in the one life thing anymore. I think that we get more than one chance at this, which Mm -hmm. means that karma probably carries over. I certainly don't know what is and isn't my karma right now. What am I creating and not creating? Mm -hmm. But that I think there's a certain beauty that lies in the, in the philosophy behind this and in the practice of behaving in such a way that you are not adding or creating negativity for others or yourself and that for me is sort of freedom from karma you know and that is a constant practice because we are human and um, we're going to fall and make mistakes hundreds of times over but here's the
0: thing we say the word mistakes mm. but is it a mistake is?
1: Um, I think I've made mistakes in my life, and very, they were very clearly mistakes. I think there were times when I didn't treat someone right, um, and, I, and I realized it in the in you know afterwards.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I do think that there are what we call mistakes. Mistakes that what I, what I would call mistakes is causing suffering in some way. See, this is where you know.
0: Again, I'm going back to this word apology. When you asked me, how is it tied with spirituality, right? I asked myself, and it was a very long ask, which was, is it a mistake? Was it a good thing or a bad thing? Or did I not think things through of the consequences? Was it a harmful or harmless consequence? So rather than seeing it from moralistic, um, this is the right way or the wrong way, because culturally, I, I noticed that What is right in one culture could be not considered right in another culture, right? And that's where a lot of friction lies when we start seeing things differently. And so when I would stand back and I'd ask myself, what is this word karma, you know, when am I going to be apologetic, truthfully, truly apologetic? So um, is it then whatever action I'm thinking, have I discerned the entire situation have i considered everything possible um, knowing that what i know because there's a lot that i don't know um so when it comes down to mistakes i noticed that when i was in doing the practice of spirituality and i kept thinking about i was always making a mistake i felt that my confidence went from discernment you know when i used to make a hard decision because you know you said there's free will. So you think you have that free will and you say, okay, I'm making this decision. But in that moment, I used to get a lot of backlash. And so I'd end up feeling very apologetic because you know, you, you know, how can you say that you don't realize the consequences, but initially the consequences seemed really hard in life you know you you the person might feel really upset and angry but in the long run it ended up being a virtue you know and i i noticed that in the world and not to sound very complicated because that's you know, when we get to spirituality, I also find we get complicated with words. But let's say if I was to say, um, you know, when people talk about tough love and empathy and sympathy, for example, right? Somebody is really hurting. You have this urge to want to help somebody. You you cannot see them crying, and and you and you know that, but some part of you then starts trying to fix it for them so that they don't feel the pain so much. But then later on, it repeats because of their own habits and patterns, right? And so you then decide as a teacher, I decided to take the tough love approach, which is getting them to confront the very resistance of it. And when that initially happened, their world would fall apart. And and. They would get very angry and irritated and everything. But in the long run, it was very liberating for them to have gone through it. So in, for example, in yoga, what I've come to understand is the path to self-realization. The only way you realize is when you go through it. But in that whole duration of doing that, seeing someone getting really angry with you for putting the mirror up, you ended up apologizing 10 times more because you're taking a risk and you're working with people's um, souls, you know? And so that's where um, I struggled very deeply with it, if, if you know what I understand, what I mean by that. I so don't what know you're, if
1: you're saying asked... is that you felt conflicted over what you were doing. So if you much. felt that you had to hold up. The, if you had to do the tough love, or hold up the mirror, you felt conflicted about it, and therefore you would apologize.
0: Yes, yes, because you're always seen because you're you're going against society's way of of, of not looking because. In the West, spirituality is always seen as be positive, right? I mean, at least that's what I noticed. And here, tough love does not have space for positivity for a while, for a while initially.
1: Well, I mean, it's a huge responsibility to take on, to take on the role of destroying someone's ego. Mm-hmm. And um I certainly don't have courage for that. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm qualified to destroy anybody's ego. Mm. Um, But I think the question for me is, do you apologize for telling the truth? I think that's the question for me. It's not so much about teaching someone something or helping them over their illusions or delusions or whatever it is, or to break their vasanas or bad, bad tendencies bad quote-unquote tendencies or whatever um i think for me my struggle has more been uh do i how much of my truth do i speak when do i speak it to who do i speak it and if you live by the code of speaking the truth um do you apologize for it when you get a when you get a reaction
0: Uh, what is truth what is truth really
1: well i i I can't say. I don't know. If you're talking about absolute truth, the kind that you find in complete silence, or are you talking about, um, you know, did you do such and such that you weren't supposed to do? Um, And then that's a very easy one. You did it or you didn't do it. You tell the truth or not tell the truth, you know? For example, I'll give you an example. Um, So my my parents are are Muslim, and... um, I was raised as a Muslim, and I was a practicing Muslim for a very long time. But then when I married Kumar, your cousin, um, and he is a Hindu, I began to look at spirituality in different ways. It was gradual, it happened in a gradual way, not because he was trying to get me to be that way or anything like that, not at all. I think I'd always been inclined that way, um, and I think I'm partly why I married him was because it opened a doorway to quote-unquote, spirituality. And um, uh, when I started going down that path, my practices started changing. So instead of doing the Muslim prayers five times a day, I started meditating. And I didn't have enough time during the day to actually do my 5 times prayers and the meditation, so I eventually dropped the five-time prayers and I, I just did my meditations and stuff. But for my mother, it made her extremely uncomfortable to see that my practices were changing. So one fine day, she said, "Are you praying? You sh- Are you praying?" I, I was. I was there with her for a period of a few weeks or whatever. So, um and then it was it was what is the question really? What is she actually asking? What's the truth behind this? What she was actually asking is, "Am I doing the Muslim prayers right?" and I had um, had to make a decision as to whether I don't answer the question, uh, I lie and make her happy, or I tell her the truth. And I knew that telling her the truth was not going to make her happy. And I chose to tell her the truth. I'm like, you see me so-called praying every day. It's not the Muslim prayers, right? And then, of course, it was, are you still a Muslim or are you now Hindu? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I don't, don't consider myself to be either, but, you know, but my practices are a certain way and I had, to, I had to create a boundary or draw a line for her. It's a sacred line for me that my so-called, I don't like the word spiritual, there's so much talk about it, but my so-called spiritual work is something that's deeply personal and I don't feel that she has a right. I felt that the upbringing was done. I was already <laughs> very much adult and I could choose for myself. So I could, I had to tell the truth irrespective of the reaction. Should I apologize for it? No.
0: Did you ever feel like you had to?
1: No, not for that. For me, that was very clear cut.
0: No. So what do you apologize for? A lot that you don't like to apologize for, but you don't know why you do it.
1: For being, uh, for doing less than, for doing less than what I think I should be doing. I still have my shoulds. for um apologize for not being on time i apologize for not being as disciplined as i feel i should be i apologize um for being late uh i apologize for not doing a good enough job who is the judge of that good enough job well most of the time it's me um i apologize for um not being enough this or enough that i'm not funny enough or I'm not outgoing enough or I'm not you know beautiful enough or whatever it is apologize for that Uh, apologize for being grumpy apologize for being human (laughs) apologize for taking up space
0: was that always the
1: case I think some of it is is trained into you I think I was raised a certain way Uh, and so when I fall out of those lines, um, which I think I have the right to fall out of now as an adult, for example, you know, be quiet, don't disturb anybody, sit in the corner, that kind of a thing. I think as an adult, you don't have to behave that way anymore. But mm-hmm. it's so ingrained in you that when you do fall out of those lines, you feel, an, you feel apologetic, you feel like, oh, I'm not I'm not being what I should be, you know.
0: Does it have a certain appearance? Because I know it's culturally, because I, when I hear you, I'm like, oh, I know you recognize all that as well. Um, does that appear to be humble? Is that mistaken humility?
1: You know, I have a very close friend who said to me, she's a very close friend, dear friend of mine. She said, the only thing I don't like about you is your humility and um, uh I've had to go back to that. And there was one time I asked her, I, I asked her, can you explain that to me more? And she actually explained it very beautifully, but I can't remember it enough. And the reason I can't remember it is because I still struggle with it. <laughs> it's like I haven't fully understood. Um, I think there's there's a difference. So I'm just gonna wing it right now and make a make a I think kind of thing. I think there's a difference between false modesty and true humility. Mm-hmm. I think that's what my friend was telling saying. Um she says, you know, the things that you're good at, it's okay to say you're good at it. Like she's a great cook and she says, I can't I can't I'm not good at everything, but I know the things that I'm good at and so, you know, I she's also an artist and um she's great at, at colors, with colors. Uh she has a great eye so and she knows the things she's good at. So she's like, can you just step up and own the things that you're good at. And, you know, um, but I think all of my dear friends, I was speaking to another dear friend just a couple of days ago, and she goes, oh, you know, uh, underselling yourself has been your chronic narrative. <laughs> oh. you, you've told me the same thing. So, you mm. know, that thing, humility, false false humility, you know, false modesty, humility, I struggle with that. I'm not an expert on that so yeah I so, haven't yet gotten point that point this is
0: where I struggled it with it with how I came because when I started this whole spirituality stuff I was quite happy having doing everything I shouldn't be doing according to cultural standards breaking all the rules but I enjoyed my life I really really did and I would I enjoyed complimenting myself there was something very appreciative about it and you know um, I went from from losing a lot of weight and really feeling good about myself, and then sometime, and then there was a point where when I started spirituality, and you kept hearing about oh, about letting go of your ego, letting go of your ego, letting go of your ego. I f- I felt like there was that false humility that had to take place, mm-hmm. and then so now whenever you knew you're really great at something, but you felt you had to be really careful about not being boastful because it's mm-hmm. egoic to have that. And that's where, you know, when you were asking me, how is it tied? That's where the big struggle was. Very, very big struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had people telling me that I shouldn't earn money from doing yoga, even though I was, you know, but you're the best teacher. But, you know, you shouldn't get money for it. Mm-hmm. And it's that narrative, I, you know, and so when you're talking about underselling yourself and um the false modesty and the or or what's true humility. I really did struggle a lot with that in terms of practicing a lot of spirituality. So that's why I wondered how do you reconcile with that?
1: Um you know I think it's I, I've always I've always struggled with this particular point. You know, I don't I, I don't know why in the world you have me talking about this in this podcast. Well, it's definitely- <laughs> uncomfortable, it's
0: brainstorming.
1: It's it's there's this not between modesty, ego, uh, humility, and confidence, you know. So there's like these things that are sort of like knotted, I think, closely together and being able to decide the shades of difference. Um, I've, of course, um, read and heard a lot about this destroy the ego business in the spiritual path. But you know, I guess the way that I reconcile it for myself is that if you really think deeply about what you manifest, you little you actually manifest and think deeply about it, um, you come to realize that there are so many forces that were beyond you that brought that manifestation into being maybe you put yourself at the right place at the right time and you put the effort forward to manifest it and that was your choice and your doing but it was only a fraction of what enabled that manifestation to take place and and knowing that inside Knowing that inside, and also knowing one's intentions, and whether the purity of your intentions on the inside, I think, are the ways of releasing ego. Because I have to admit, I was not born poor. And what do I mean from that? I've I've received an abundance of opportunities of of nourishment. Um, in this lifetime that has brought me to where I am now. And it's not my own doing. It was circumstances and parents and all these other, you can call it karma or whatever it is. So there's a certain humility that comes with that, recognizing that you were given all this to start with, right? And that you can't just go out there and claim some sort of grandiosity because you were given so much. Um, I think that... You know, there's a certain, every time something has worked out and magically worked out, you realize that there's grace at play and there's a certain humility that comes with that too. And also there's, I guess I turn to this, I return again and again and again to this recognition of impermanence. And I ask myself sometimes the things that I've done, the things that I am doing now, you know, I've I've taught hundreds hundreds and hundreds of children and I've painted paintings and I've done things in my life. And I say, well, a hundred years from now, where will all of that be? And I'll be like, well, it will all be invisible. It'll all have dissolved or vanished in some way. So knowing the impermanence of things, knowing that things come and go, things rise and fall, that gives me humility too. And I think that is sort of my way of, of, keeping my ego in check. Mm. But confidence, confidence is another matter. That's another thing I've been thinking, I've put some thought to because it's a struggle. Um, I think confidence emerges through setting out for a goal and working hard um, and seeing things through and becoming aware of, the things that you can do and um, knowing that you can rely on yourself. Um, I think that when you don't see things through, when you let yourself down in some way, and I'm talking about yourself, it sort of like shakes your confidence. It's the opposite. So, you know, seeing it to the end of the race.
0: All the ups and the downs that go with it.
1: Yeah. And then you you get it done, you get it done, and then when it's not as great as you wanted, you do, you try again at the next one, and you, and the next one, and the next one, and you learn, and, um, and as you learn, you become more confident, because, you know, it's like riding, it's a simple thing as riding a bike, the first time you go on the bike, you're not confident, you're shaky and wobbly, and you know, you're going to fall down, and you do fall down, and then, you know, you get on it again, and you like it's still wobbly, but it's like, oh, this is kind of fun, all right. And after you've done it about ten thousand times, you're on that bike, and you're just like, oh, hands free. I can do it all. That's confidence, right? That reminds me. That's that's very
0: much you in that way. You you leap. I always admire you when you just leap. Oh, you you know, you tell me, screw it, let's just do it, and I will just get on with it. But you said Are you something talking to me
1: about leaping. Have you looked at yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you lecturing me just a day ago about get out of your head and just do it?
0: Uh yeah, I was. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's easy sometimes to give advice and then not take your own some or or see it and recognize it at least. Uh I definitely am I can t- I assure you, I struggle with recognizing how much I have done in my life. And I think a lot of it has got to do with wanting to um it's about that boastfulness, like you said, you know, I'm I, the struggling that I have also with, and I was just thinking about what you said was it's probably another podcast in itself. But on gratitude, you know, um, you mentioned about uh, you weren't raised poor, and you you were raised with with everything with a, a lot of abundance itself.
1: But you know, I I I didn't like that word poor when I said it. Yeah, you. right now, poor is a horrible word and it's a very contentious word. And, and uh, I mean, it's very, it's sort of very dual poverty and, you know, being rich. But, but there are many kinds of richness, I have to say. And um, what I mean by poverty is, is or poor is lacking. Um, I, I there, you know, I received love, I received uh, opportunities, etc., um, etc. Et so that's what I mean just to clarify. Anyway,
0: go on. Um, so that's where, you know, I come back to it. But it's very valid because sometimes uh, I struggled. You know how much I've struggled in my life. You know what it was. You've seen me at my worst, actually. I think you were one of the few people that was that was holding a very safe space for me. And one of the things I had struggled was that when I would share how much and I was at that brink of the suicide and really beating myself up. And when you held that space, I had to learn to be to overcome false humility, and allow myself to feel okay, that I was hurting a lot inside, I was really, really hurting a lot inside. And I, you know, when we say gratitude, or, you know, I, I noticed that I was apologizing, because I had reached that low point in my life. It was a lot of and you know, um, I received a lot of I was trying to create a very amazing center in Carissa, and I felt I had failed on so many levels because everybody was always telling me how to make it better or how to do it this way that I stopped really recognizing all the work I had put in, right? So I'd gone to that point. And I was almost ashamed to take recognition. And it was a lot of based on, and, and a lot of it was based also with, with men. You know, a lot of men telling me, how it should be done. So I, I struggled very much with the, all those conflicts inside of me. And one thing that I found often being told is, oh, you don't, rec- you should be grateful for where you are, or you should be grateful. And I would think I started to hate that word really, really deeply. Um, I didn't want to hear it at some point. I was like, if somebody else puts this positivity in front of me, my head would say, I want to shoot them. You know, that's, I I would get that aggressive with those words. So um, when I hear you speak about abundance and stuff, I know I'm not alone in that narrative. I've seen others also feel very artificial. They say they're grateful just to be grateful, but deep down inside, they feel very apologetic also within themselves, not to feel their truth. You know, they actually don't feel at that moment. And you, guiding them out of it. So where I'm getting at is when we assess apologies, or we assess mistakes, or we assess everything, all this stuff, and to apology, how do you or what could you share from your experiences on how to treat oneself with that dignity? Because you've been through a lot just, just as much. I mean, if we talked about your stories, um, you had me weeping also many, many times, which you're sharing your your trials in your life so what would be in today's world where a lot of people are struggling and they're apologizing just to apologize how to return that dignity back to it
1: so you kind of you're kind of pointing to apologizing as the opposite of dignity or self-respect i i think kirti each person like when you're starting with truthfulness you got to start with yourself right and it means having a really good hard deep look at yourself at What motivates you to do certain things, um, say certain things? What's motivating a certain reaction? Whether the reaction is called for or uncalled for? Is it an exaggeration? Could it be another way? These are things that you have to sort out with yourself, with yourself first. You know, if you have an incredibly good therapist, they'll help you with that. Um, And I think that when you come down to the truth of things within yourself, that's where the apologies disappear. I think that that's, or, 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 there is a need for apology, but it's a true apology, because you haven't come back to the idea of making a mistake. You come back to recognizing that perhaps you didn't behave in the best possible way that you were motivated by something negative, be it hatred or or greed or whatever it is, right? Anger um, instead of of behaving in a way that was really from a higher place, generosity, love patience or whatever it is, whether it is with someone else or even with yourself. Or even with yourself. But I think that's where the reconciling of apologies arises. And sometimes I think it just even takes time because we have to really wade through all the layers of conditioning that we have. And you know, I'm as I'm saying this, there are certain situations that are coming to mind, but they're extremely personal situations that I'm that it's an ongoing thing for me right now. Um for me personally, drawing boundaries is very hard because I am i tend to uh, want to please or accommodate or give. And, and so it's very hard for me to say no, to draw boundaries. And that's when I get apologetic. I feel nervous, re- an- anxious, uh, um, and I feel apologetic about things, especially this is with people who are very close to me, right? um but again that you have to go back to your truth you have to really go back to your truth if you're having to draw a boundary in a certain way you have to understand for yourself very clearly why and what is motivating that because just as you have to take care of others or or need to take care of your loved ones you have to take care of yourself too you're also a person so there is a nurturing that you have to do with yourself as well, you know, which means saying no to the things that are hurting you, you know, and and once you're established in that truth and you feel comfortable with it, then I think the apologies don't have a place. Or mm-hmm. have a place. Or have a place.
0: How do you process? So I know you're, you know, you go, I know you you are and you have been going through a lot. What is, if you had to share this One suggestion, I don't wanna call it a tip because we all have it differently. How can you give access? Because I know, you know, when we live in a very digital world, distraction is easy and and it overstimulates our senses, right? And that also provokes us to take actions or speak or react really quickly. Okay. When you're saying now, when you're talking, for me, it sounds like processing first so that you know how to put the boundaries down. Can you suggest for at least those who are listening what would be the, the, not kindest, but the most, you know, like generous and sacred um, way to yourself to process this without judging yourself? So when you make those boundaries, it's not out of defense, but out of
1: true love. You've got to have the strength and courage to be with yourself. And a lot of us simply don't because our emotions are overwhelming. we don't want to be disappointed we don't want to have to face our demons things that hurt us whether it's we cause our own suffering or other people cause our suffering or whatever it is um you have to be able to be with yourself and there are many ways to do it um sitting in silence and learning to meditate has been a big one for me um journaling has been a big one for me and by the way for meditation you know um there are many ways to meditate there's there's many different ways to move, but creating that space for for reflection, for quietness, for silence, for introspection, um, creating that space. What so about I, with your
0: artwork? Because I find your artwork also it always reflects how much you're processing.
1: I think I can get into a flow state with my artwork for sure, but it's different. Than introspection, uh, because it is really it is sort of being in the moment and opening yourself up. But it's not necessarily self-examination. Um, and I mean, self-examination. First of all, you have to want to be honest with yourself. But self-examination is, I think, different. that you you are you know Thich Nhat Hanh, who I who I love and adore he would always say, your suffering needs you. You know, your feelings need you. Give it your attention. Give it it space. And you talked to me about this very recently when we talked about Befriend Your Mind. You said, you know, the more you fight it, the more it's going to bother you. No, you have to offer it a cup of tea Mm -hmm. and sit with it. And you talked to me about that very recently, which really made me stop and think. And it's something that I'm still thinking about and still considering, well, how do I really do that? Because... You know, when we suffer, the, what we want is the suffering just to end. Just please end as quickly as possible. Just go away. Just stop it. Then we replace it with something that's pleasurable. Oh, I'll have that tub of ice cream. Oh, this is so good. But it doesn't actually get rid of whatever is your problem or it doesn't resolve the issue for you or you know you say oh let me just go I'm gonna go out watch a movie or I'm gonna hang out with friends and have some drinks and have a roaring good time and I'm just gonna forget I think there is a place for levity and lightness there is a place for um for these even simple pleasures you know for me it's being out in the trees and, and things like that there's a place for all of that but there's also needs to be a place for the things that we're very uncomfortable with. And that's our suffering.
0: Yeah. Asking asking your demons. I call it asking your demons for tea. I, I, it's not my favorite part of the day. But at the same time, it's it's my favorite part of the day um the Mm -hmm. process is not enjoyable but sitting with them it i I agree with you you go to the word strength and commitment it is it takes a lot of strength and commitment to want to sit with it because the urge to just want to get up and walk away is so big Mm -hmm. Avoid it is so big and then um wanting to sit you know when you when i ask a lot of when clients go well what's befriend your mind and i do tell them it's about sitting with it i I'm very cautious now because I, you have to be ready for that commitment. I am, you know, very aware of that, but I find with your creativity, when I, sometimes I see your artwork and yes, you are in the flow state, but I always feel like you're processing something along the way. And I I find that, I just find that so, um, I'm in awe of it. You know, I don't know how to explain it. It's not, it's just, I'm in awe how that happens that you know you step aside of your own noise and let your noise come out on its own and then process it i
1: think that's a beautiful way to put it sometimes that happens sometimes i find it easier with words than visually but i'd like to just end on one thing though and mm. it's something that i think i'm learning i'm learning now now and i find it really quite beautiful is that we have our shoulda shoulda woulda couldas we have our apologies, things we feel regretful about or things we feel guilty about and things that we fear and our suffering and things we want that don't turn out the way they want, the disappointments and delusions. And we have all of those things in our life. But in the silence, yes, those things come up and they appear, but also in the silence, what also appears. It is the part of yourself that you know to be um whole and deserving and lovable lovable and noble and um and ever present so that's also there and so there comes there comes a time when you say i'm okay as i am i'm okay as i am i appreciate this I appreciate, I appreciate me, you know, and that's another side of it, which is also very beautiful.
0: I think it's gorgeous because you're asking oneself that while sitting in the silence and all that arises, all that shit, (laughs) let's call it all that, all that stuff that's like, oh, yeah, I got to see all that, that behind of it. To not forget to give yourself that sense of appreciation that you're allowed to sit with that. That's what that's what you're you're sharing. And I just think that's beautiful.
1: Your coming into being was not a a wild coincidence. This world needs you as you are, your flavor of being. You have as much right to be here as everything else and you deserve love as much as everything and everyone else and you you are here to express that which only you can express you know so there's that too there's that too so let's honor that as well let's honor that as well
0: well and I'm going to honor that thank you I know it took a lot from you to come on today because you've resisted it every time I mentioned it but I'm really happy because I get to share, I get to share someone who I hold, and you know I hold you very dear to my heart.
1: You
0: do too. Every time I'm having a ah, I want to get out of this moment. You've been my um you're my I call it my cushion. You've been my cushion to let me bang and just stop and stop fighting myself and to just sit with myself. And I'm so grateful I get to share you with others today. So. Oh.
1: Well, you know.
0: I love you. right? Yeah, you do. Me too. But I don't think we need to make it all corny for the audience. They don't need to see that side of us. All right. See you, kids. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Befriend Your Mind Salon. We hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to apply in your daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and loved ones. Together, we can spread the message of equanimity and mindful connections and communication. Remember, true growth comes from embracing diversity of thought and approaching our relationships with openness and compassion. Let's continue to befriend our minds and cultivate meaningful connections in this ever-evolving world. Until the next time, stay curious, stay open, and keep befriending your mind. This has been the Befriend Your Mind Salon. I'm your host, Cutie. signing off. Take care and keep embracing the power of equanimity in your life.